Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is Deuteronomy 5, verse 18. You shall not commit adultery. This is the seventh commandment. And in this commandment we learn that our God expects us to be sexually pure. God created us male and female. And he designed the sexes to complement each other in the sacred bonds of marriage. More specifically, each marriage was created by God, which is why the Bible says the two became one and what God has joined together, let not man separate. Adultery is the violation of the marriage covenant, and it is sin. Adultery destroys lives and tears apart families. It breaks trust. And it reduces a man to a crust of bread, according to the proverb. God designed the family to be the basic building block of society. And adultery destroys families. Now God loves his people. And he wants to build up a holy people for himself. And this is why he hates sin. He loves his people. And this is why he hates adultery. God wants to protect the weak and the helpless, the widow and the fatherless. And both widows and fatherless are the results of adultery. So God gives us this clear command. Now Jesus explains this commandment in the Sermon on the Mount. Lust and divorce are equivalent to breaking this commandment because the kingdom of heaven is about inward holiness and purity. It's not just enough to keep this commandment outwardly or technically. And God judges sinners. And this should bring us to our knees in repentance. Because lust and pornography are pervasive problems in our culture. Technology and the internet make sinful images extremely accessible. Our culture's popular movies... And TV shows and music are inundated with immorality and infidelity. They objectify women and model lust and adultery. The children in our culture grow up without an appreciation for godly marriage, and they bounce around in dating relationships without the protections of good fathers. The result is that 41% of the marriages in our country fail in divorce. And that is without accounting for the new normal of couples living together without getting married in the first place. And all of this is still the heartbreaking reality of betrayal, abandoned children, and broken homes. This is a culture of destruction and despair and the opposite of God's design for life. And finally, I want to say a word to the church. None of us is immune. 
More than one church or family in the church has been torn apart by these sins. These sins start in the heart, and our hearts are desperately wicked, prone to evil. We are supposed to be vigilant in guarding them, precisely because we are not immune. God gives us this commandment as a gift so that we might live. And moreover, he gives us a means to be put right when we fail. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins, so if you're willing and able, please kneel. today Jesus is continuing to talk about motives in the practices of religion so our text is Matthew 6 verses 16 through 18 we are in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount uh, Jesus has finished giving us you've heard that it was said but I say to you uh, instructions about how much more righteous the true interpretation of the law was than what the Pharisees had handed down and now we're in the midst of a section in which he's talking about religion or the practices of religion, um, almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. Now, we've already covered hypocritical giving and hypocritical and meritorious prayer. And our text today covers fasting. Now, fasting is an intriguing topic. And it's probably not something we are used to talking about or even thinking about in modern-day evangelical America. Fasting is just not high up on our list of things that we work through or talk about. We tend to think of it or to pass it off as something that religious fanatics do, monks or prophets, uh, something that Muslims do during Ramadan or Catholics and Orthodox do during Lent. Yet, it is something that we read about in the Bible, in our scriptures. And Jesus assumes that we will do it. In our text here, Jesus continues to warn his disciples about doing it improperly, about doing it with hypocrisy. Now, we've already talked about hypocrisy in relation to almsgiving, and, and in, in, in almsgiving, that's about our relationship with our brethren. And God wants us to have a loving relationship with our brethren. So he says, give in secret. Don't do it for show. And prayer is about our relationships with God. And so it's not about doing it for show or for about earning God merit with God. It's about our true relationship with him or conversing and communicating with God. But fasting is about holiness in our considerations of ourselves. It's about holiness in our considerations of ourselves. Now what does that mean? It means that fasting is about humility. It's about us thinking about ourselves rightly in relationship to God about humbling ourselves before him, about repenting of our sin before him. And I hope to flesh this out as, as we go through the message. First, the hypocrites completely miss the point of fasting. 
Matthew 6, verse 16. Jesus tells us, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So the hypocrites fast for the sake of appearance. They, they do it, they disfigure their faces, they make themselves look sad, so that it looks like they're fasting, so they appear to be holy. They're worried about their image before men. Their holiness is outward, but not inward. And this is the opposite of humility. And it brings about the reward that it deserves. Men will think highly of them. They're hypocrites, but they, they look good on the outside. It appears good. But they, the only reward they get is from men. But don't you see how they're missing the whole point? Because religion is about our relationship with God. So they get their reward. And Jesus says, surely they have their reward. But Jesus, he disdains the reward that they get. In contrast, Jesus very clearly warns us to be secretive about our fasting. He says, for the sake of a true reward from our Father who sees in secret. Verses 17 and 18. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. So that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So Jesus says, don't be hypocritical when you fast. And yet he assumes that we will fast. But now we come to the question, what is fasting? This is not something that you hear taught about very often. It's not something that you, uh, that, I mean, if, if the church is doing it, then they're obeying because they're doing it in secret. <laughs> it's not something that, that we talk about very much. Um, if we're not doing it, then we need to learn what this is all about. So what is fasting? In this context, the technical definition of fasting is Forgoing food or drink, so not eating or not drinking, or forgoing certain kinds of food or drink, so not eating meat or, or, or not drinking alcohol, giving up some, or even forgoing a specific activity. Um, some people will give up watching television for Lent or something like that. But it's forgoing something for a set period of time, whether it be for one meal, or for a day, or three days, or a week, or 40 days, as Jesus did, or Moses did, for a set period of time, for religious purposes. So it's giving something up for a set period of time for religious purposes. And it is usually paired closely with, and it goes hand in hand with, prayer. 
You set it aside, you set something aside to remind you to pray. Now in preparing this message, I noticed several purposes for fasting. And you can see them listed in your outlines, in your, in your bulletins. Um, the first purpose for, for, morning, uh, for uh, fasting is to demonstrate mourning or sorrow. We see this, uh, we see this in the scriptures. And I'm, and I'm going to be giving you two examples. There are many more examples of this. I'm going to give you two examples of mourning or sorrow in relation to fasting. And one of them is a positive example. One of them is a negative example. So first, positively. When King Saul dies in the Old Testament, when, when King Saul died, his death was met with mourning, and that mourning entailed a seven-day fast. His people, his people collected his bones and that of his sons, and they, they fasted for seven days. That's fasting for the sake of mourning. They're, 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 they're demonstrating their grief. That's the positive example of mourning. If you can call mourning positive. The negative example is that Jesus tells us that fasting is incompatible with joy. When Jesus was asked by the disciples of John, they said, why don't your disciples fast like the disciples of John or the Pharisees? And this is what Jesus said, Matthew 9, verses 15 to 17. And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? So mourning is fasting. Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Or then they will mourn. Because it's incompatible to, to celebrate, to rejoice, to feast and fast at the same time. So, the first purpose of fasting is mourning or sorrow. The second is that in the Old Testament we have several examples of repentance. Repentance. Fasting is a demonstration of repentance. And it's not just a demonstration of repentance, but it's a, uh, it's a, a demonstration of repentance with an entreaty to God to relent from the coming judgment. When we are made aware of our, our sin and the vileness of our sin, and when we turn away from it and we repent of it, what do you get? Sackcloth, you know, hair shirt, ashes on your head, and fasting. These are signs of repentance. It's they're outward proof that yes, okay, he's taking this seriously. And this kind of fasting comes with an entreaty that God would forgive. An entreaty that God would relent from the punishment, or the just punishment that he has decreed against wickedness. So there are several examples of this in the Old Testament. The first one that I'm going to give you is that God decreed in the founding document of Israel, in the book of Deuteronomy, that when he gives the covenant that makes nation a, the, the, the people of Israel a nation, he gives them a command that annually 
Every year, all of Israel was commanded to afflict their souls for one day a year. And that means fast. One day a year, the entire nation of Israel, on the seventh month, the, the tenth day of the seventh month, the entire nation of Israel would not eat food or drink. It was the Day of Atonement. It was the day in which the priests went to atone for the sins of Israel. And we got, it, it pops up three different places in the Pentateuch. Um, and, but, but I'm going to read to you uh, from Leviticus 23, verses 26 through 28. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also, the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. So fasting shows repentance. Next we see David's fasting when he learns of God's judgment on him that Bathsheba's son is going to die. And, and, and David, he, he repents of his sin and he entreats God that this son will, will yet live. And so he fasts and he fasts and he fasts until the, the child dies. It's in 2 Samuel 12. Again, in Jonah, chapter 3, we see that Nineveh fasts and wears sackcloth. They even, they even made their animals fast. Because God was going to destroy Nineveh unless they repented in turn. So Nineveh fasts in repentance and entreaty for God's relent, re, relenting of his judgment. And the prophet Joel instructed Judah to fast for this reason also. The prophet Joel... Uh, chapter 2, verse 12. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. So Joel, when he's calling Judah to repentance, calls them to fast and weep and mourn for their sin. And here's another interesting example. You see King Darius of Babylon fasting for Daniel when he was tricked into throwing him into the lion's den. And he's entreating God for Daniel's safety. The third uh, purpose for fasting is for remembrance. Now this one isn't quite as obvious in the examples in Scripture. And yet... We read in Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 through 3, this is the, the passage that Jesus quoted when he was fasting. And he fasted for 40 days, and Satan comes to tempt him, and he says, he says here, you're hungry, turn this loaf of uh, this stone into a loaf of bread. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. But what we're going to see as we read this passage, and I'm going to read a little bit more than the part that he quotes, you're going to see that this is about remembering. This is about remembering. 
Alright, Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 to 3. Every commandment which I commanded you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Fasting reminds us that there's more to life than just material stuff. Fasting has a way of heightening our awareness of our need. And remembering is an excellent preparation for God's working in our hearts and our lives. When, when we remember what God has done, how he's carried us through those hard and dry places, God's preparing us to do his work, to live in faith, to obey his commands. And that brings us to our next purpose. And that is that we fast for focus, for revelation, and for power. You fast for focus and revelation and power. Both Moses and Jesus fasted for 40 days at key times in the giving of the law of God and in the initiation of their ministries. That's a, very, these are very unique fasts in the scriptures. Moses and Jesus, I think Elijah did it too. But very 40-day fasts in which they didn't eat or drink, and they were, they, were, they were done at key times in which God was demonstrating his power in these men. Similarly, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego fasted from unclean food and drink early on when they were brought into Babylon. And God blessed them and gave them positions of power. And later, when Daniel was in that position of power, he fasted and prayed prior to receiving one of his visions about things to come. Jesus tells us in, in Mark, you know, there's a, in, in, when Jesus is doing his ministry and he's going around doing miracles and the disciples, he gives them power and they go around doing miracles. And then they come across this, this, this person who comes to Jesus and says, can you help me because your disciples couldn't cast the demon out. And Jesus cast the demon out. And the disciples questioned Jesus and they said, why couldn't we cast the demon out? And Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Similarly, the early church fasted in Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. They fasted when they were selecting Paul and Barnabas in Antioch to go out on missions. They didn't know who was going to go out on a mission trip, but they prayed and they fasted and God revealed to them in the midst of this that Paul and Barnabas were to be sent out on this mission trip. And then similarly, Paul and Barnabas in chapter 14, they fasted and prayed when they were selecting the elders in Galatia. 
Paul describes his own ministry this way. Two different places in 2 Corinthians. In fastings. In fastings often, he says. It was part of, it's a spiritual discipline. It's, it's a part of the Christian walk for Paul. Now at the beginning of the message, I said that fasting is about holiness. It's about holiness in our considerations of ourselves. And what that means is fasting is about humility, humbling ourselves before God. And humility is the last purpose I've listed there on your bulletins. But this is the primary purpose of fasting. In fact, all the other purposes that I've listed can fit under the category of humility. Mourning is humility. Repentance is humility. Remembrance is humility. And interestingly, focus, revelation, and power are humility. Now, how, how does that work? <laughs> how does re focus, revelation, and power equate to, to humility? Well, the kind of humility that, this, that, that fasting is about is, is personal humility before God. It is genuine and sincere humbling that makes one fit to be a conduit for God working in the world. So when we pray and fast for this fourth purpose, for focus and revelation and power, we're humbling ourselves before God so that He might lift us up. So that He might make us fruitful. So that He might make us useful. But what is the mechanism for that to, to occur? It's humility. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. You fast for humility. Faith is always about the heart. And that's why Jesus clarifies that fasting without a heart change is no good in our passage today. Hypocrisy in fasting is not going to get you the reward of God. And this is very consistent with what Isaiah wrote about fat fasting in Isaiah chapter 58. And he starts by, by, by quoting the Israelites. And this is what the Israelites say. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? This is, this is the Israelites levying their complaint against God. And this is God's answer. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Now, obviously, yes, that's what they would call a fast. It looks very like fasting sackcloth and ashes and bowing down their heads. But then God tells us this. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? 
to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? God doesn't care about our self-affliction. It's not meritorious. It will not get us hurt on high, is what the text says. God will not accept our arrogant self-righteousness. He demands our humble suppliance. And this then begs the questions. Should we fast at all? And if so, why? If God wants all these good works... If he says, is this not the fast that I've chosen? Loose the bonds of wickedness, undo the heavy burdens, let the oppressed go free, break every yoke, share your bread with the hungry, bring to your house the poor who are cast out, and you see the naked, you cover them. If that's what God wants for our fasting, then what is this fasting I've been talking about this whole time? What Do we even have to fast at all? Well, the answer is, is complicated a little bit. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. And Jesus assumes that we will practice it. In our text, he says, when you fast, do it this way. He doesn't say, if you fast, do it this way. He says, when you fast, do it this way. Similarly, when Jesus tells the disciples of John that when the bridegroom leaves, that his disciples will fast. He says, I, I have to go. I, he tells his disciples, I, I need to go. I need to go away that I might prepare a place for you. He's going to go. And then he left. He, he, he died. And then he ascended into heaven. He left. More than that, we have examples of fasting in the New Testament, after the resurrection and the ascension, in the book of Acts and in the life of Paul. We have hosts of examples of fasting through the ages of the church. Virtually all of the church fathers practiced fasting. Luther and Calvin fasted. John Knox, the preachers of the Great Awakening on American soil, in fact, Christians who don't fast are by far and away the minority in the, in the history of the church. That doesn't mean that the church has always gotten it right, though. To be sure, the church has gotten it wrong many times. Certain circles are just like the hypocrites. They consider it meritorious. And Isaiah's injunction remains valid. If it doesn't involve a heart repentance and a heart humility, it doesn't mean anything. And we are not Gnostics. Gnosticism is a, a false teaching that arose early in the Christian church that came out of Greek th thought. But basically it made material, 
things bad and spiritual things good. And it just separated the, the, the spiritual and the material or the created and, and, and uh, the idea realm. And, and we don't do that. That's not a Christian way of thinking. Jesus became man. He, got, he had a physical body. He, he sanctified the earth. We have bodies, and our bodies are intricately connected to our souls and spirits. With Paul, we must discipline our bodies and bring them under subjection. Jesus sets us free from the lusts of the flesh. And the spiritual discipline of fasting helps us by reminding us that we are free. And that we don't live by bread alone. Moreover, we live in an already not yet world. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Satan is, just, is, 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 is conquered. And yet, Jesus' kingdom is coming. And the, the kingdom of the world is still out there. And Jesus has not yet put all of his enemies under his feet. So in this already not yet world that we live in, we still need to be sanctified. We need to become holy. And now this is true on both the corporate levels as a body of, in the church or as, as a nation and on the personal private level. As, as God brings sin to light in our lives, we need to repent of that. Now fasting as a spiritual discipline and done faithfully as God commands is a powerful tool in the spiritual toolbox to help bring to light sin and, and to bring it to light and cause us to repent of it. Corporately, as a nation, we should repent and turn from the murder of thousands of babies every day. Corporately, we should repent and turn from our greed and refusal to worship and acknowledge God in the public square. Corporately, we should fast and pray for the persecuted church around the world, for the martyrs who are dying today because they claim Jesus as their Lord. The church should stand together and fast and pray for God to change these things. Privately and personally, we should confess and repent our own sins. And fasting has a way of softening our hearts and opening our eyes to unconfessed sin. But in all of this, never forget to mind your own business. Mind your own business. Fasting is not about looking over your neighbor's things. And it's not about bragging rights. That's hypocrisy. Fasting is about your own humility before God. So mind your own business. By all means, pray and fast. 
Be humble before God. Turn to Him in faith. Repent of your sin. But mind your own business as you do so. It's between you and Him. You don't need, you know, make sure you don't make yourself look all bedraggled and walk around wearing a gunny sack. That's not, that's not the point. That, that, will, that will get you not the reward you're looking for. But faithful, godly holiness does bring a blessing. There is blessing in fasting. Jesus tells us that God sees in secret and he has a reward for true humility and fasting. And lastly, faithful fasting is done in hope. It's not about us uh, beating ourselves up. That's not what it's about. It's done in preparation for a feast. In our humility, we wash up we anoint our heads with oil and we put on a smile so that in obedience, we're ready to go to the party. We are ready to celebrate the reward that God has, His rich and full reward. And all of this discipline is worth it. It's all worth it. And the next thing Jesus tells us in which we'll be preaching about next week, is lay up your treasures in heaven. It's worth it. Lay up your treasures in heaven. Because God is good. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, let us pray. instituted this meal he began his last fast he said but I say to you I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it near with you in my father's kingdom Jesus entered those last few days of his life knowing the suffering that was set before him and he finished the work that God had set for him to do by the power of the Spirit because man does not live by bread alone. But in doing so, he became the bread of life for all. Jesus said in John chapter 6, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus laid down his life, and paid for our sins. He became our life, and now He freely offers that life for us all. Believe and receive eternal life. Christ's body, broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, 
ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings. Thank you.